Oh my god, Sean, every fucking time that man sticks his head or his hand into the fucking hole in the wall that's dark, I'm just like, why are you doing that? It was so stressful. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Never fear change. Life is too short for fear. Chase what is desired. I can do this all day. Would you mind identifying what you are? We're the best friend squad. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Welcome to the rodeo. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This is the way. I have spoken. Welcome to the Skippy and Fanny Show at the movies. We're one of the good ones. Burning down the house. (laughs) I'm Alex. I'm Sean. And today we are going to be talking about Remy Weeks' feature film debut, His House, which is currently on Netflix. Yes, a very interesting and exciting film that uh, I think, at least for me, super surprised by because I didn't know what I was getting into until I watched it. Yeah, and I feel like the description where it's just like, oh, I mean, like literally the IMDb description, I'll just read it, is a refugee couple makes a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan, accurate, but then they struggle to adjust to their new life in an English town, also accurate, that has an evil lurking beneath the surface, not accurate. (laughs) Yeah, that that part is definitely where there's a little subterfuge. (laughs) Yeah, because it makes... It may, well, you know, we probably, I don't know if we want to, like, because that's almost like a spoiler, so we should probably just kind of generally talk about what's going on, and then we can have, like, spoilers, because there is, like, a lot to this movie. Absolutely. So I, I think the summary you've given is is pretty is pretty good, right? This is dealing with, like, you know, refugee crisis situations. A lot of the imagery here is pretty familiar to things. If you've been paying attention to the news the last few years, you, you would have seen very similar imagery. Uh, but yeah, it deals with, you know, uh, you know, refugees uh, coming into the United Kingdom and trying to adapt uh, and to sort of prove themselves like to uh, to the, the people who are sort of in charge of the, the refugee system that they belong there uh, and they deserve to stay. Uh, and that comes with extra challenges because of, as Alex was saying, there is a little bit of a shall we say, a darkness here, but the exact nature of the darkness we may have to come to after a spoiler wall because it kind of reveals really important details. Oh, uh, shit. And- I just realized that I basically just made you do the summary and I was supposed to do the summary because you did the tagline. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I just got mind fucked. <laughs> I'm Alex. sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> well, to be fair, I just kind of repeated the IMD one, but just added more. Yeah, so, so, okay, now I'm going to, like, jump off of what you said, and I will complete the summary. Good. (laughs) So, yeah, the refugee crisis, the thing with this particular, the particular characters that are involved in this are a married couple named Bull and Rial. Uh, Bull is the man, Rial is the woman. Um, They're both South Sudanese, their native language is Dinka, and... When they're when they are escaping Sudan, they have their daughter uh, Nyagak with them. When they are crossing the water to get to Europe or the UK, I'm not sure which specific area they're going to. There is an accident and the boat sinks and Nyagak dies. She drowns, and so you can imagine these people arrive in in the UK and get put in this soulless refugee center where they spend a lot of time being like, "Do we get to stay? Are they going to send us back?" And have they have already dealt with um, the immense trauma of like 
people in their village getting gunned down and escaping, and then this little girl dying in front of them, and then um, they get um, given asylum seeker status, and they're told, okay, we're going to give you this house to stay in, and you get 74 pounds a week, which is not very much money, but you're not allowed to work or get money in any other way, so you just have to go with it and live in this house, and you're not allowed to leave the house. Or if you, you know, basically annoy us in any way, we're going to fucking send you back to Sudan, where where your people are getting murdered. And this house, the house itself is almost a character, because it is unusually large, actually. Everyone keeps commenting about how these this married couple, who's, where it's just the two of them, have such a big house compared to where everyone else lives. It's also super gross and dingy and dirty and has horrible green wallpaper at the beginning and trash filling the garden and a lot of, and it's in like a nameless English town where everyone is just sort of staring at them mostly in an unfriendly way. And that is the setup for when shit starts getting really weird and it kind of goes into a haunted house phase. And I think that's all I want to say after that. It's just, it's a horror movie. Shit gets weird. Psychological <laughs> stuff happens. Yeah. And I and I do like that you described this as a haunted house. And in a lot of ways, the story is precisely that. What gets complex is on exactly what it means for the house to be haunted in this context. Because it's different from what I think folks are usually, you know, or expect when they hear what a haunted house story is. And we won't reveal exactly what that is because that comes after spoilers. So I think that probably we should go to our general reactions about this film. And based on our re- our reactions so far, I think Alex and I are very close on how we feel. Uh, and I will say my feelings first. And I would say that I, I absolutely loved this. It actually scared me, and I don't usually get terribly scared watching horror films unless they're zombies. This one scared the bejesus out of me. It is well shot. It's only an hour and a half, and it, this is a complaint I've had of, of some Netflix productions, which is sometimes the stories feel like they needed more meat. And this one, I didn't feel like it needed. It felt very tight and very well designed. And from start to finish, just the amount of little detail they kind of layer in here between the characters, uh, whether it is uh, Bola Real or uh, Matt Smith's character, Mark, because they couldn't bother to just change his name from an M name. Um, You know, all of that, I think, even though there isn't a lot in terms of the number of characters presented here, it does so much with so little that I think it just it's just a really exceptional film. This was premiered at Sundance. So, I mean, I'm sure they're picky or whatever. I just think that if you watch a horror movie this year and you really want like a little bit of diversity in your horror watching, this is the film to watch. It's just exceptional. Yeah, it's 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 very psychological horror. There aren't that many jump scares. I mean, the the few that are used are used to great effect, but it's mostly just you know, the unending sense of horrific dread where you're just like, oh God, I can tell something terrible is going to happen. I wish it would just happen already (laughs) and just get it over with. Yeah. I mean, so I recently, because in October I watched a bunch of horror movies because I'm trying to like work up my horror movie calluses and plus it was October. (laughs) One of the movies that I finally watched was The Babadook and... I I feel like his house and the Babadook are basically cousins, which is not to say like, oh, he copied it or whatever, because using horror as a way to examine somebody's psychological trauma is not like, you know, a new thing that someone just invented. But they have like a lot of really kind of rhyming similarities with even just kind of like the state of decay of the house 
and you know the fact that you're trapped in a house with a monster and you've got like this very claustrophobic like and a weirdly large house that yet somehow feels extremely claustrophobic because you're kind of like trapped in this house with someone else who is deeply traumatized this trauma just plays out and well it's you know the babadook is about guilt this one is definitely more about like survivor trauma and everything that they have left behind in Sudan. And also guilt. <laughs> and, and guilt. Yeah. Which is one of the most fucked up parts of the movie, but I'm not going to spoil it for you we because I want it. you to have the experience of seeing what they feel so bad about and, and just yelling, oh shit, over and over again at your TV. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, that threw a curveball that I was not expecting. Oh, and, same. Same. It's so good. <laughs> and, and and I will also note that that unlike the Babadook, no animals get killed in this one. Yeah. I, I mean, for a horror film, I think a really surprising thing is like you, you emphasize the psychological horror. And I think that that's largely because even though there is a narrative here in which, you know, someone is meant to die here. Uh, and, and someone does die in the beginning, right? But someone else is supposed to die. Uh, this film doesn't focus on, like, the sort of murderous aspect of horror. It's like, I mean, literally the, the central premise here here is scaring a person into doing a thing that they don't want to do is basically how, how the basic plot of this is. Yeah. Well, and it's, to a certain extent, it's not even scaring him into doing it. It's because, like, at first it's, like, scary, and then it's just, like, I'm going to powerfully work on this hideous guilt you have. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, initially it's terrifying, and then it, the terror's still there, but the, the guilt becomes the thing that it, like, feeds on. Uh, and to really good effect, I would I would say. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, well, let's put up a spoiler wall, because uh, we're, we're being vague about what we're talking about, and we need to be more specific. So, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> yeah okay so should we get into what the the terror actually is here before we get into maybe the the big reveals uh, well i mean honestly since we've been talking and talking about like what the guilt is let's just go into that because we we're kind of like on that topic yeah and and the interesting thing about this is that it is clearly very very topical it's it's a it's an issue that's been happening Longer than the last few years, but like very visibly publicly, right? The the refugee crisis, uh, people trying to cross, you know, an ocean in rickety boats, you know, there, there's death and there's all of this. But the other aspect of this, which is that, well, how do people actually get from wherever they are fleeing from to those boats? And these characters actually get there. We're told at the very beginning it is because they, they sort of managed to escape. You see snippets and bits. But later in the story, it's revealed to us that they essentially, or I should say the husband primarily, essentially kidnaps another woman's kid in order to basically gain access to a bus fleeing what looks to be, you know, soldiers attempting to commit genocide against an ethnic group because this is meant to be South Sudan. That becomes the primary guilt because when she dies, they, they basically get this girl killed and have been treating, been referring to her for much of the movie as their daughter. Uh, and yet, they don't have a real daughter. That isn't a thing that's here. And there's elements of the story they think are really interesting where they've almost convinced themselves that she was their daughter out of the trauma that they've experienced. And when that finally explodes, 
uh, that's when we get the real climax of the story, uh, which is phenomenal and terrifying. But it also is like it really speaks to I think what's at the heart of this film is like the the ways that trauma of the, the kinds that were shown can just destroy you from the inside. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's horrifying trauma that they experience. Well, and, and just the entire setup of it is just so like, because you've gone the, yeah, like Sean said, you've gone this whole movie believing that, that Nyagak is, Nyagak is their daughter. I, and then when you get to this flashback scene where it's already like this horrible thing that they're trying to escape from, like, you know, you, you see Rial and I think it's a school and like all of her friends have been literally murdered and she's just staring at their bodies and then they're like hiding from people and there's a dude on fire in the street and it's really traumatic. And then there's this bus and the lady keeps saying, no, there's no room. There's no room. And he's like, just two more. And she's like, only for children. And that was the moment where it was like, what the fuck's going on? Cause don't they have a kid? And then he looks down and there is, there is Nyagak and, and he just grabs her and goes, she is a child. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then she lets them onto the bus and Bull sits down at the back of the bus with Nyagak and Rial is giving him this look. And then as the bus starts driving away, Nyagak starts screaming for her mother. And that was when I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, and, and you see this woman running after the bus screaming for her daughter that these people just stole. And then how that kind of loops back into the movie. In, in, I mean, they're in a lot of ways and, and kind of in the flashback scene where you learn about this. And I I don't know if it's if I'm like a hundred percent sure, but I also I feel like it does kind of get implied that like Rial hasn't been able to have a baby before now, which is why she kind of like gloms onto to Nyagak just because she's like, oh well, we've got you here now, and I'm gonna protect you, and kind of just decides, okay, you're you are my daughter because she doesn't have one of her own. It's certainly I, I don't know I don't know if I would say that it's it it heavily implies that they can't have kids, but it is. 100% clear t by the end of the story that they they have they whether they've tried or not that they, they do not have a family outside of themselves. Yeah. Uh they are a childless family and that's a and that is from the start right when they actually become refugees in the United Kingdom they don't have a child and that is also at the end right they they remain childless at the end. And, and then so when Rial is kind of like the person who sort of gives us, us the framing for what is, is going on in the house because, like, some really fucked up stuff starts happening, not, like, basically the moment they arrive. But she she brings up this story of a witch called um, an Apeth. Yeah. And the story is kind of talking about how this man stole some stuff from the, the Apeth to make a house, and then the Apeth, like, basically was like, well, this is my house now, and you're going to pay back what you stole, and you owe me a debt. And so by when you get to the fact about they... they escaped Sudan, South Sudan by kidnapping a child and stealing her from her mother and then she dies it's like okay this is the debt I mean they, there's like so much trauma already but this is the debt I have a, I, I, get, I get the feeling that they feel like they really do have to repay because they, they stole this child and then she died and they're still alive and there's this monster this apeth that is after them that is just like well bull needs to die because he's the one who stole her in the first place and if you if you cut his flesh and let me in and i and i'll i'll take collect this debt you can have your gack back yeah what's interesting to me is so 
at the end, uh, like, it, am I correct to read that they don't literally get her back? They actually just end up in a house with peaceful spirits of other refugees. Nyagaka's one of them. Uh, but they don't, like, she doesn't return actual in physical form. So what happens is, okay, you know, you can tell, like, there's, like, all this stuff. They have an argument, you know, shit is fucked up between Rial and Bull, unsurprisingly. And she runs away from the house for a little while and he brings her back and they're both sitting in the kitchen in this unbearably tense scene. And basically at this point, the Apeth has told Bull, hey, if you cut yourself and I will take you and then, you know, the child will live. And he's told Rial, you should just cut him. And, you know, basically it just really wants him. And you can tell Rial, is, there's like a kitchen knife sitting on the counter and she keeps looking at it and you can tell she's thinking about it. Yeah. But then Bull actually just, like, when her back is turned, he goes and gets the knife and cuts his own arm. And this this fucking terrifying monster erupts out of the floor. And the only reason you're like, oh, you're not like, oh, this is just, like, psychological bullshit is later on the hole of the floor is still there. Right, right. But then, you know, it, it, it grabs Bull and he tells Rial to run. And she makes it, like, basically out of the door and she's listening to him scream as this thing starts, like, sticking its fingers into the... Like, it's crawling into his skin. It's really fucking disturbing. Yeah. But then, if you look, there's the shot of her hand. And you see Nyagak's hand reach out and take her hand. So it's almost like, okay, if you just let the Apeth have Bull, then you get to keep her. You're holding her hand. She She's there with you. Oh, and then she kills. Yeah. Yeah, and then Rial actually makes the decision to let the girl's hand go probably again, and then goes back and fucking murders the Apeth and saves her husband. I got so caught up that I had forgotten she basically slits its throat. Like, she kills it, and then that obviously un unsettles the the deal, as it were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so then Nyagak is still there in the sense that she is a ghost that they carry with them forever, but she's not alive. Yeah, and there's this great line that uh, Bolt says, right, where it's like, you know, we all have, like, ghosts, and basically he let his ghosts in him, and everybody has to carry them, and that, that is, of course, the final image, is like them looking into rooms full of presumably other refugees, people who have been lost, the ghosts that, uh, you know, sort of the, the trauma is the ghost, as it were. And I, I think that's a really fascinating image, and it is one that I, I find really interestingly contrasted with a later scene in which uh real is basically like kind of insulting all of the, uh, like britain basically she's basically saying like how all these people are they're weak and they are like they they don't have any sort of sense of survival or power like they they've had that taken away where as a way of contrasting to them where they have suffered these horrifying things and have i suppose she's sort of implying like maintained their dignity but they seem to be like exercising petty bureaucratic power versus, you know, like sort of personal power. And that seems to be a nice contrast at the end of this when it's like, we've taken control of our own trauma. You did nothing in any of this. Uh, and it's sort of this like brave face being put on. And they have found, I guess you could say, a piece with the 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 ghosts of their past, literal in this sense. And they have sort of made peace with I guess the UK people, Matt Smith being the primary one, but it's all like very, there's like a tenuousness to it or a tentativeness to it that it's, it's still very much show. I feel like the uncertainty is mostly on if the, the, the social worker is going to let them stay. Cause as they're leaving, they're like, oh, well, 
you know... They shouldn't do that to the walls. <laughs> they shouldn't do that to the walls. We're gonna... Because Ball know, basically, basically rips holes just... in it. <laughs> well, oh god. That... <laughs> but, I mean, the thing with the ghost... Like, that's... Okay, It's that's another thing where it's like it parallels with me to the Babadook. Because the whole thing at the end of the Babadook is... You know, the Babadook is guilt. And the way they end up dealing with the monster is... You can't actually make it go away. So, the happy ish ending for that movie is well it's just gonna live in the basement forever and some days are bad and some days are better and it's just there and and i feel like that's kind of the 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 conclusion they've reached with with their ghosts where yeah you know bull is saying we all have ghosts they live with us i've let my ghosts in because he's just accepted that they are never gonna go away they will always be there and that's actually how you find peace with them yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, and that is very like a very true thing where it's like, you know, you you the the trauma never leaves. It's just the acceptance and and processing of it. It's an interesting thing because like a big part of this film is dealing with the fact that like refugees aren't really treated all that well. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I would say it it pulls its punches a little bit. It could probably be more brutal uh but it but it chooses not to so like there are some interesting sort of assimilationist assimilationist scenes like where ball is it, he goes to a pub and he's singing uh i assume some sort of soccer shanty or whatever right for watching whatever game they're yeah. i i think that's what they're singing and and there's those like little moments where he's trying to kind of fit in but then you have these other sections where you know, their their very nature is being questioned by social workers, or you know, they're like hiding their supernatural belief, their their belief in witches, etc., because they they have a feeling that these authorities figures, Matt Smith's character Mark, for example, are not going to believe them, which of course they they don't really, and will think them crazy for feeling this, and that would be bad because then you'll want to send us away. But then you have also this this really interesting scene where Riel is lost in the city and meets a bunch of black teenagers who basically mm-hmm. pull all of the kind of familiar racist stuff against immigrants, you know, about the the way that they talk and, you know, they, they kind of troll her a little bit about trying to help her get her directions that she needs and just generally are kind of quite cruel to her. Well, and they tell her to speak English in England because she thanks them in Dinko and she's leaving. Right. Yeah. There's there's all of this kind of going on. And it's what it feels like a lot is that this film is is very much offering a criticism of two sort of things. One is sort of a critical look of what we've been talking about, like grief and the sort of metaphorical representation of ghosts as like the guilt and all of that that you carry with you, that everybody must have, that, that the traumas that you carry with you. But then the other side is this sort of simmering kind of racial animus that exists against refugees just in general that is not just unique to one type of england but it is like the entire england with apparently the exception to the soccer guys in the pub i i think you know especially it's it's such it's like one of the little tensions because i mean there's the major tension of like you know real believes in the apeth and that basically the house which is the metaphor for their their new life that they're trying to have is a stolen thing yeah and bull keeps being like no this is my house because he's trying to assert like this is a new life we're starting a new life everything's gonna be okay we are reborn so that is their like main point of friction 
because first he's in denial and then he's just like, no, you know, he's just arguing with Rial about a lot of this stuff. I mean, when he finally is like, okay, we've been cursed. The way he tries to fix them being cursed is by taking everything that they brought with them from South Sudan and burning yeah. it, including the one thing they had left of, of Nyagak, which was the, her doll. But then kind of this, like, a minor point of friction that you also get between them is also an assimilationist thing where, like, you know, Rial makes them dinner and she, they've got, like, a nice a nice carpet and she, you know, lays the dinner out there so they can sit on the floor to, and eat with their hands, which is, you know, their tradition. And he's like, well, we need to use the table next time. And then he try, and then he makes her eat with a fork. Yeah, this it's this interesting element, right? Because you're right, this tension is, is like the bowl is trying to quote unquote assimilate. He's trying to become like them. And I and I think you could read this very much as that, you know, for him, the assimilation, at least initially, seems to be working. And I'm using lots of like air quotes here, right? Because the, the pub scene I point out, it's kind of a big one where he just starts singing this song and like the pub kind of accepts him, at least insofar as we see it. Yeah, and they, they give him a box of stuff. Like a guy actually calls him into the pub and is like, oh, are you one of them refugees? And then they give him like, you know, kind of a care package. Which I, I gotta say, I actually really liked because my first instinct when I saw that was, oh, they're gonna do something bad to him. That was, I totally thought they were gonna beat the shit out of him. And instead they were like, here, have a box with like biscuits and scrubbies in it. And yeah, you know, sit around in the pub and have a pint with us and sing a soccer song. And I was like, oh, that's cool. As opposed to like their fucking terrifying, creepy old lady with the cat's neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it, it, there. there is this like, interesting thing where it's normally when we get like assimilationist stories there's always this tenuousness that exists there where like if you don't assimilate well you won't be accepted but even if you assimilate well you'll never be fully accepted and mm -hmm. i think rial sort of witnesses that because what she thinks is like i don't need to give up my culture to assimilate and so she goes out and she trying to like you know be involved in everything but what she gets is this distance uh, that exists between her and basically anyone, like the black teenagers, right? She's totally distanced from them. They're, they're, there's, they're, they've like created this barrier because of the way that they've bought into these sort of anti-immigrant, these sort of racist lines about English and all of that stuff. And while Bol is there, you know, seemingly assimilating, he's bringing forks, he's saying we need to bring all of this stuff in. There's also this sense that, like, but it's only working for him for now. The very nature of their situation means that it can be stripped away at any moment for any reason. And we hear that in this moment with uh, with Mark when, you know, Bull is like, we need to go to a new house because this thing is horrifying. He has to come up with a reason for why, uh, because the, the Mark is like, I can't just tell them you just don't want to be there because that's not what they want to hear, which is code for they may send you back because you're ungrateful. Mm -hmm. I don't think Mark, uh, Matt Smith is trying to play him as as that cruel, but certainly other other social workers absolutely are presenting it as cruel. And so he comes up with the rat story because, you know, rat's bad and it's got vermin, blah, 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 and bugs and it's making us sick and like, yeah, she went to a doctor, yada, 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 right? But it's it's not, that's not the story that is going to make them buy it. And even still, there's a realization for him that if they find out what I have done in the home, they may send us back because they think we're crazy. And then even more so, if we tell them about the Apeth, they will think that we can't assimilate into this culture. 
And that's a horrifying prospect. That that entire scene, like, where he's trying to convince them to put him in a, a different house is just, like, it is one of the most harrowing scenes in the movie outside of, like, the final flashback where where you find out all of the bad stuff. But, like, I mean, if nothing else, like, something they get told multiple times is they get told, I even wrote it down, was, be one of the good ones. Yeah. Implying that if if you are insufficiently grateful or act in a way we don't like. And, and I mean, like, at, at one point, Mark is even like, you, you look like you're getting sick, man, and you smell bad. And I was like, what the fuck? And then, you know, Mark also is like, oh, make it easy for people. So it, it's putting that entire burden of like... You know, don't make trouble. Show us that you're grateful immigrants for for the scraps that we are giving you. If you don't want to send us back into, you know, to get murdered. And the entire burden is on these people who are already so fucking traumatized by what they've been through that they really just need, like, some kindness and understanding. Yeah, and I mean, like, the neighborhood provides none of it. You you mentioned the creepy neighbor that just watches them. Uh, Oh, it's, like, super hostile. And and there's it's also this expectation that you get from Mark, you know, again, being like, be one of the good ones, where it's just like, you need to come here and cause absolutely zero trouble and act like you're a normal person in the way we understand normal people, but we're not going to tell you what the rules are. And there is absolutely no quarter given for the fact that you are both fucked up and really need some counseling. Like, if you act weird, you're out of here. Yeah, it's this, It in a way, it's almost like the soccer, you know, the pub soccer scene is kind of a trick. Because this is like what it should be, is like, like you know, you're walking by and like a gentleman is like, oh, like you, you're one of the new folks. Like, hey, why don't you come in? Like, hey, here's a care package. Like, hey, we're going to show you some soccer. You want to have a beer? Like, let's hang out. Also, we'll teach you a song where it's like people actually doing the reaching out and saying, like, I'd like to bring you into our culture and let's share and like, let's have dinner together and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. That seems almost like a trick because it, I mean, we both had the reaction where we immediately thought something bad was going to happen. It doesn't. Nothing about that scene is inherently bad. But yet it all just sort of falls apart at the seams. And you start to realize that for these people, it it is a one-way street. They have to, like, decode Britain. They have to figure all of these things out. And they have to adhere to a set of codes that are improperly defined and are functionally impossible to fully follow accurately. And there is no system in place to sort of help these people actually get from where they came from, which is, as you've mentioned, incredible amounts of trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, to get from that to some form of assimilation. And even that, like, what does assimilation even mean in this context? Like, we can figure it out because we're looking at the clues, but, like, to them it doesn't. I mean, Bull is making it up. He's like, oh, like, I guess I gotta sing the songs like the British, or we gotta use utensils, because that's what they use. But nobody's, like, sat down and said, like, well, but Britain's actually somewhat of a multicultural society, so, like... By the way, we also have like a Sudanese community over here of folks who like, you know, have raised kids and stuff. Why don't you go hang out with them for a bit and kind of learn how they've like none of that is part of the process. It's like we stuck in a house. We're not going to give you the cheat sheets on how this is going to work. Good luck. And Rial kind of sees through it. Bull doesn't. He's trying. He honestly at the beginning is desperately trying. And Mm -hmm. it seems like it's going the right direction until the Apeth sort of fucks everything up (laughs) yeah until it's kind of like oh all of 
all of your perceived sins are, are you, you thought you had left them behind and you are wrong because you are living a stolen life. Yeah. I mean, there's like this other aspect too here that like, how, how do you expect, so if, I mean, we know we're talking about Sudan in this context, right? And so we know that we're dealing with a place that has dealt with, in our lifetime, suspected, very likely probable attempted genocide, right? Ethnic war, lots of violence, murder, tons of that going on. And to me, you're going to, you bring in refugees, you say, we're, we have slots for refugees, right? We're going to bring you in, you can be asylum seekers, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to give you the opportunity. But like nobody sits down and goes, these people have actually been through a hell none of us can actually imagine. How do we help them actually get to some sort of, I don't want to say get over it, because I don't I don't think that's possible, but like... Yeah, I mean, well, the entire point of the movie is you don't, you just live with it. Right, you learn to live with it, but like, there's no sense of that as a part of, like, I mean, the, the system is like uncaring in this film. I mean, the very first time they actually interact with any kind of refugee officials, immigrant officials, it's the guys basically telling them, like, you know, you got to follow all these rules... And you just got to do it. And I just want yes or yes or no answers. And that's it. And they don't want there's no conversation. There's no personality to it. It's just like bureaucracy without care. And this whole film, like, that's how Britain mostly, except for the soccer guys who in the pub are, are I think, generally pretty nice that we might have missed something. But um, but generally, like British society comes across here as isolating, as intrusive it it does not come across as a society that's actually open to other people of other of other cultures and and so on and that bleeds through to everything that the characters deal with it sort of becomes in a way you know if not for the apeth showing up and finally doing the the real work of uncovering a lot of this it starts to like rip the seams apart of like this little fantasy they're trying to live it's it's one of the things that makes this film, I think, really fascinating because there's just so much here. There's so much like meat to, to chew on um, or, you know, grain if that's if you're a vegetarian, you know, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. And I mean, that that's kind of the the, um, you know, like it, it is very much about like the the refugee crisis because it's basically European nations and America. You know, we, we're definitely, we suck a lot for this too, especially sure. yep. in the last four years yep. where, where it's been like, well, you shouldn't have to be our problem and you managed to get here. So I guess we have to deal with you and you better just be grateful for what we give you because we, we have no interest in, in, in your pain. And I mean, I think like another, oh God, like it's such a brief little thing, but at the very beginning when they're in the refugee facility and they get they're getting taken to the gym, which is where the 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 people are who have, are like, okay, we're gonna grant your application for asylum, but don't fuck up because we'll just re revoke it in a minute. They walk past the the room next to theirs. There's another refugee in that room who is getting the shit beaten out of him. Yeah, it's unclear exactly what causes the situation. I think what it is, um, what what I got from it was basically. That was a guy that they decided they weren't going to give asylum to, and he didn't go quietly, so they beat the shit out of him. Yeah, that that's a fair. I think that's a fair assessment. And like, but it, but you're right. Like this uncaringness of that situation means like, are you surprised? Like, you, I mean, I I suppose they're not. They probably expect it. But like, you know, if you flood an area where you thought you might get murdered, to me, it seems like a natural response to fight 
like when it that when you're being told we're just gonna send you back and you might good luck uh you would fight but that's the sort of like the the, the other layer of horror here it is of the tenuousness of their situation that it can be revoked at any moment and no amount of protesting you do matters because nobody cares yeah and i mean like in that scene where they're they're you know granting the asylum application and actually it's it shows up in that scene and then it shows up when bull is having that that absolutely harrowing conversation with mark where he's asking to get his um like to get moved to a different house and i mean i i gotta say the 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 actors that play bull and real are fucking amazing they're so good and, and it's um bull is and i hope i'm pronouncing his name right it's it's sope dirisu and real is wunmi mosaku so anyway, during those two scenes where he is being subjected to this absolutely horrific amount of stress and he's trying to like appear calm because he doesn't want to, you know, get in trouble. He has this weird like laugh that he does where you can tell it's not that he thinks that anything is funny. It's it's he is about to fucking lose it. Yeah. And and, and it's that, that weird link between like laughter and crying. And I, I want to say there's one other scene where he also kind of laughs and then he starts crying. Yeah, I think so. Where it's just like, oh God, it's so hard to watch. Yeah, and you're you're right. Like the the casting here is really something else. These these actors really belong in more things <laughs> like they are really yes. really good i mean overall i would say that of this film is this film honestly is is so good you know i mean like I, maybe you can nitpick some things but like i don't f- I, to me this is like a perfect this film's perfect it it is terrifying when it brings this sort of supernatural the apeth and the 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 like almost like zombie spirits that come and there's there's all these really horrifying images in the house like the way they build up and set it up like what you had said before the the we we set up the spoiler wall right that this it's like a haunted house but like the house itself isn't the thing that's haunted it's the apeth and but the way that it builds up all that tension is very haunted house like right the walls are making there's voices coming from the walls and the the wallpapers coming off oh my god Sean every fucking time. That man sticks his head or his hand into the fucking hole in the wall that's dark. I'm just like, why are you doing that? It was right? so stressful. Yeah, it it does such a good job. I mean, to, if you had said to me after I watched this that the director of this film is fairly basically new, had done very little, I would have said, well, that's not possible. Like, the, this is so well directed. It's so good. But Remy Weeks has, like, made three other things two of them i think were short films and one was like an episode for like a short tv show and this is remy weeks's first uh full-length feature film and holy mother of god if this is what what weeks is doing with the first film like i I, where do you like i give him all the money just oh and i I wanted to know Probably, like, listeners, some of you might know um, Wunmi Mosaku because, the, the lady who plays Rial, because she is in Lovecraft Country, and she plays Ruby. Right. So, I just want to know that. She's fucking gorgeous, and, like, this film, oh, God, the film is, is beautifully and terrifyingly shot. It is very, very well done. I, I just feel like we could just sit here and talk about how much we love this film. <laughs> it's so Oh, good. God, it is just so good, and just, I mean... Like, we could have an entire podcast just about the house as a character and, and, and you know, 
the the shit that happens when he's turning on and off the lights and I was just like I cannot handle this I was just like sitting on the couch and like sweating because I was so stressed out I think the moment for me that like really sealed it was when he um the lights the lights are from the moment they get into the house right you you mentioned the lights and they all kind of don't they work sometimes sometimes they don't we don't know exactly why we just assume it's because the house is it's just a junky house it's not a very good quality house like literally the first day they walk in the door falls off its hinges and mark just tells them there's a hardware store around the corner get some screws for the door like that's basically what happens so but for me like the moment that clinched it was when he um he's trying to deal with the lights and he sees something in the wall and he starts pulling this cord yes and pulling the cord and then it turns into like a rope covered in seaweed and it becomes more seaweedy and watery as he's pulling he's pulling and pulling and then eventually it pulls out the doll oh god and then a pair of hands come and grab it and pull it back in and i was like oh boy that's nightmare fuel (laughs) that i I mean honestly the the, like the the as far like the creepy scene that that fucked me up the most i mean other than a pest trying to crawl into his skin which was just disturbing uh it's it's when he's fixed the lights because he actually like goes and he and he kind of figures out the wiring and there's this this really scary sequence where when the lights are off all these all the fucking ghosts basically show up and then he's kind of like oh shit and he turns the lights back on and it's kind of like on off on off and then at one point he hears Nyagak's voice and he looks and she's standing by the light switch and she just turns the light off and right. all the ghosts attack him. And I was just like, oh God. And it's very well shot and utterly terrifying. Yes, it was. It's, it's a very good movie and there's just like so much to it. And just, I mean, we could also have a whole podcast about the, like the couple dynamic. I'm, it's just, there's a lot to it. It's really <laughs> good. And it's not overwritten, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of, like, quiet moments where it's just the characters doing something or being present. The, they don't spend excessive amounts of time on dialogue. Like, we learn about the Apeth because Rial gives us this story, but it's not, like, overwrought. It's not excessive. And there's not, like, long sequences where everything has to be explained to us. Like, a lot of this is about the visual mastery and just using just the right amount of dialogue and character. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. It's masterful. It's really good. I want to. I want to see what Remy Weeks is going to do next. I would love to see either an episode of one of these really big shows, or like a mini series, and just like let Remy Weeks just like here, whatever it is. Here's your budget. Make a series and and like really just have at it because I think I think Remy Weeks is up and coming superstar in terms of direction for for horror. That's what I feel. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> it's so good. All right, well, I feel like we're kind of getting to the end. <laughs> because yeah. at this point, we're just talking about why we like the film and the director. And the I, I think it's, it's kind of like either end it now or we're going to go into like another 15-minute rabbit hole about some small detail, <laughs> like the wallpaper. Yeah, oh, God. It peels down like, like, like floppy skin. It's... Ugh. <laughs> It's so brilliant. Oh, I love it. I just love it. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we'll get to our final thoughts on our grades then. I, I will start and then I'll, I will leave it to you, Alex. So 
I think my, my opinion is pretty clear. If you are, are listening at this point and you don't mind some of the spoilers, go watch the film. It's worth seeing. This is hands down one of the best films of the year. Absolutely must see. And I would give it an A+. And I don't give A-pluses very often. This one is an A+. So I can't necessarily, like, with any kind of sureness say, oh, this is absolutely one of the best horror films of the year. Because I think this is literally the only horror film I've watched this year that came out this year. <laughs> Fair. Which is, you know, just kind of how it goes. Like, this movie, this this year has been, like, a messed up year for watching movies. <laughs> for, I don't know why, gosh. But, like, this, yeah, this movie is really good. I mean, especially if you've seen The Babadook and you and you liked it and, you know, you, 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 like, understood what it was doing. This movie has, like, a very kind of similar take, which is not, you know, not to its detriment. It's, it's like, a really good exploration of, of like, human emotion and, the th- you know, the, the shit trauma does to people and relationships. And it's just really good and it's super well shot. And the house is horrifying and disgusting. So <laughs> I like definitely recommend. I, I give it an A. It's good. You should watch it. Absolutely. Well, all right, folks. We've done it. We've managed this abs- absurd podcast about a great film. So, Alex, would you let folks know where can folks find you and your things? Uh, so you can find me at my website, which is katsudan.net, or I am at katsudanbury on Twitter. Excellent. And you can find me at Sean Duke or SeanDuke.net if you are looking for a website where my stuff sit. And obviously, if you want to support this show, patreon.com slash Giffy and Fanti, uh, please do support the show so we can do more podcasts and also so that all of us can retire as quickly as possible. That would be really nice. And, <laughs> uh, you know, find all the stuff like our newsletter, etc. at SkiffyandFanti.com. And uh, Twitter, at SkiffyFanty. And if you would not mind, please throw up a review on iTunes. Every little review helps a lot, and we like to hear from our listeners. So, yeah. yes. So uh, I am now going to go put myself in a dark hole in my wall, because I now officially have a dark hole on my wall, and I want to see what's in there. Oh, God, yeah, just, just stick your hand in there without put, shining a light in first. I'm sure everything will be fine. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I won't lose I anything. Go wrong. It's fine. Yeah, it's all totally fine. So on that note, awkward <laughs> ending and scene. You're welcome, citizen. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanti. You can also find us on our website, skiffyandfanti.com, and on Twitter at skiffyandfanti. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at skiffyandfanti at gmail.com. The music for this episode comes from Sphere by Creo. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.